Welcome to Mortification of Spin, the casual conversation about things that count. With Carl Truman, Todd Pruitt, and Amy Bird. Mortification of Spin is a weekly podcast from the Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals. Let's join this week's conversation. Welcome to Mortification of Spin. My name's Carl Truman. I teach uh, humanities at Grove City College in Western Pennsylvania. And I'm here with my two usual co-hosts, Amy Bird, the housewife theologian, somewhere in Maryland or Maryland, as Americans would say. Maryland. And uh, with Todd Pruitt, the uh, pastor of Covenant Presbyterian Church, a PCA, in Harrisonburg, Virginia. And today, uh, I want to talk uh, about a topic that a lot of Christians probably wrestle with. I certainly do. I mean, I, I prayed regularly uh, that the Lord would provide me with two better co-hosts for the podcast. But <laughs> as of this day, there has been no answer to my prayer. I thought he was uh, praying for hair. So, so, oh! no, I, had, I, I think the two things are related. I have <laughs> Until <laughs> Tom, Tom and I both had hair until a certain person joined the Something podcast. happened. Hey, my husband's got a full head of hair. <laughs> That's weird. I, I so guess he can weird. handle me. But, Does but he I'm know he's you your husband? <laughs> Listen, have, have you told him that? Or is he just the guy who happens to be in the house? In, de- in defense of Amy, in defense of Amy, my hair didn't really start falling out until I moved to Philadelphia. <laughs> and so long before I met Amy, um, I, I, I was terribly unhappy and growing bald. So. Yeah. <laughs> well, anyway, why is it then mm. that God does not answer prayer? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Or how should we handle yeah. the fact that he doesn't appear to yeah. answer prayer? Yeah. I think you just don't have the right formula. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You, know? you haven't sown enough seed into a person's ministry. Yeah. It. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, uh, I, I, I deal with this a lot. Um, in people's lives uh, and, and in my own life. I'm not immune to, to at times saying, you know, Lord, I, I, don't, I don't like the way you're, you're running things. And I don't like the fact that <laughs> you haven't granted this, this thing that I've been, you know, pleading for. It's very hard at times. And um, uh, I, I, would, I would say, first of all, that, you know, God answers our prayers. He, he, he doesn't always answer in the affirmative. Um, but he hears the prayers of his people. He's engaged with the prayers of his people. He uses the prayers of his people for accomplishing his purposes. He uses our prayers for doing work on our own hearts. He uses our prayers to teach us how to pray better. But but the hard part is, is that when he consistently appears to say no to something we're convinced is really good. And, and, and the hard thing to help people navigate is when they're praying, for instance, for a wayward child mm-hmm. who has rejected the Lord and the parents are pouring out their heart for this wayward child, they're not asking for a Corvette. They're not asking for a pool. They're not asking for a better job. They're, they're praying that the Lord would turn the heart of their child and give them a love for the Lord. Mm-hmm. And, and all the evidence seems to be saying that God is you know, refusing that or saying no to that. And, and so what happens is, is after prolonged periods of time of, of appearing to get a no to that, the person begins to wonder, I, I can't imagine 
how this is a bad thing to pray for. So why is God not granting it? Those are hard questions to answer. Those are hard situations. When we, um, when we read together through um, Christopher Ash's commentary on Job Mm -hmm. and the questions that kind of loom over the entire book is, Mm -hmm. um, do we live in a well-run world Mm -hmm. and is God good to his people? And I think those are questions that we often think of when our prayers aren't being answered the way that we think mm-hmm. you know, really should, especially something when it comes to like a wayward child mm-hmm. um, or even like, you know, praying for a spouse to come to the Lord. Right. You know, you see a spouse faithfully praying for their spouse in that way. Um, death of children, just so many different things, disease. And and does God keep his promises? Like these are all like questions that go through Mm -hmm. our heads while we're, and they're very pastoral questions. Yeah. Yeah. I, um, I was talking to uh, a a gentleman in our church not long ago who, who suffers from chronic pain. Um, I forget the name of the, um, of the disorder, um, but it, uh, it it's a deep, deep, deep chronic pain that he's and this we're talking we're going on three decades now and it's unremitting, unremitting, and and I bring him up for two reasons. One is because he knows what it's like to not have what seems to be like a really good prayer answered. The other thing is is that after almost three decades of this, he's walking with the Lord. Mm-hmm. and and uh, faithful in the church and a a reminder to all of us who don't deal with chronic suffering what it looks like to do so faithfully um when he and i have talked i i i'm kind of cured immediately of any attempt to try to give trite answers because mm-hmm. he's heard them all right um, but to just simply grieve with him when he grieves and to rejoice with him over the fact that all these years later, he's still walking with the Lord, but there's not an easy answer there. Mm-mm. There's, there's mystery. Yeah. And of course it's, it's the situation in which Paul finds himself when he prays that the Lord will take with the thorn of the flesh. Now mm-hmm. commentators, of course, disagree over what the thorn in the flesh is. There's a variety of opinion on that, but I think the identity of the thorn is not as significant as the fact mm-hmm. that it is a thorn. It's clearly right. something causing great, uh, at least certainly mental suffering mm-hmm. and discomfort to Paul at that point. And the Lord's answer is my grace is sufficient for you, which is, it can be a dangerously trite answer, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but because it's trite doesn't mean that it isn't true. Mm-hmm. Sometimes trite answers are also true answers as well. And Paul clearly learned uh, a tremendous amount through that experience. It's easy to sit here as somebody who doesn't suffer, certainly at the moment, from chronic pain and has never suffered from chronic pain to 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 to, to offer that response. But I think it's it's a true one. But then you go to again to the book of Job and think of the figure of Elihu. And I'm persuaded that Elihu basically gets it right towards yep. the book of the end of the book of Job. He he clearly has a great understanding of God's sovereignty, he understands that the world is not set up for his or for Job's convenience. Um, but the Lord still answers after Elihu is finished. The Lord still feels it necessary to speak, which seems to imply that Elihu 
may have got it correct, but he hasn't said everything that needs to be said. Mm-hmm. And, and I'm persuaded by those commentators who see the thing that Elihu lacks as being his compassion for Job and his suffering, mm-hmm. that Elihu gives the true answer about the transcendent God, and yet you never get any sense that he feels for the suffering of Job. So I think though it's not an answer to why God doesn't answer prayer, I think it is, as, as you've outlined, Todd, it is a, a pastoral strategy yeah. uh, to, to never forget that you're dealing with real human beings. Mm-hmm. And, uh, it's a cry of pain. It's yeah. a cry of pain, is this question. Yeah, and, and, and I'm reminded of the fact that when you're dealing with someone who has gone, you know, an extended periods of time, not seeing um, good prayers answered in the affirmative, you know, good prayers, prayers to, you know, to turn the heart of my child or prayers to turn the heart of my spouse or, uh, you, you know, prayers that we can imagine all kinds of ways God would be glorified were he to answer them in the affirmative. And, and yet th- these brothers and sisters seem to be met with silence in those prayers. One of the things that we, that we have to remember um, is through, through all of this is, is the cross. If, if you look at the Old Testament examples of, of, of lament and crying out, you know, you know, Lord, why aren't you hearing me? Or why do the wicked suffer? And, and I mean, why do the wicked prosper and, and the righteous suffer? Um, uh, so often the, the Old Testament writers come around to remembering what the Lord did in the Exodus, which of course in the Exodus was the kind of the pinnacle of God's work of, of deliverance and salvation for his people. But that was simply anticipatory of the cross. And, and when I'm in those moments, when I'm challenging the Lord and I do periodically, I do wrestle with him over things um, in his grace. He ultimately gets me to, to meditate upon the cross again, because in my wrestling with the Lord over certain unanswered prayers, it doesn't take long for my heart to begin to say, Lord, are you holding out on me? You know, are, are you not, why aren't you being generous? Why aren't you being generous? And it's in those moments when I need to be reminded of the fact that the father spared not his own son, Mm -hmm. but gave him up for us all. Yeah. Because we have that answer. Um, You know, we might not have all the answers, of how he's answering our prayer. We, we don't, even when we think that he's answering mm-hmm. prayers mm-hmm. in the positive, we don't have all the answers, mm-hmm. but we have that answer. Right. Yeah. And, and which, we also have the, the best answer. Mm-hmm. you know, and we also know that Christ is an unremitting advocate for us as we pray. Right. And that the Holy Spirit is, is groaning with mm-hmm. us mm-hmm. in prayer. Um, I, I love that section in Romans. Yeah. Yep. Mm-hmm. And, and isn't it interesting uh, along with that, that um, we we, um, we we get this image, as you mentioned, Amy from from Romans of of the Spirit, you know, striving with us as we as we pray. It's a wonderfully comforting uh, image, you know. It's it's in some ways an anthropomorphism, but it, it's it's very pastoral. It's very kind of the Lord to to give us that because I'm I'm reminded of the fact that one of the things we learn in these long periods of time when we feel like the heavens are brass and they're shut up is that um, there's something about perseverance in prayer that, that pleases the Lord. You know, Jesus gives us the, the, the parable of the persistent widow. Mm-hmm. So there's something, uh, th- there's a Christian virtue 
to praying over the long haul. I don't know all the reasons why. I can speculate on some of the reasons why, just from my own experience of some things I've learned, but, but there's something clearly very good for us in those long, persisting prayers. And so the Lord brings us to those places where we have to pray that way. And this, uh, you know, this is a transition to the, the second topic we want to talk about today. But I think the other, the other thing we need to remember is you know, the Lord sees comprehensively. We only see right. the past and a little bit of the future mm-hmm. and the present. Right. The Lord sees comprehensively. And there's a sense in which the Lord has answered the most significant prayer that all of us will ever have, and that's mm-hmm. death. You know, how do we get through death? How, how are we going to deal with death? What's the answer to this yeah. great black cavern that's opening up before us as we hurtle through life towards it? And God has spoken in Christ to deal with death. That is done. And, and every prayer that we pray beside that is a comparatively trivial prayer Mm-hmm. compared to how do we deal with death and how do I face the judgments on the other side of yeah. death? Yeah. Well, God has spoken on those big issues. Mm-hmm. Everything else we have to trust him fits into that as a minor piece of a much faster jigsaw than we are able to, mm-hmm. to see. You know, I cannot think of, of any people, and this, isn't, this is nothing to, to, to commend ourselves, but rather um, – to commend God's word, but I can think of no other people other than Christians who are able to give uh, an adequate and satisfying answer to the problem of death. Um, one of the things that, that's interesting about our culture, and I think probably most of the Western world, is that death is such a taboo subject. Um, now, we see lots of it in terms of fantasy depictions, you know, the walking dead or, you know, the assassin or uh, CSI shows and that kind of thing. So there's, there's plenty of death in terms of it being um, packaged for entertainment. And always being other people. Always being <laughs> other people. Yeah. But in terms of any kind of a long conversation or meditation upon my inevitable death or my spouse's or my child's or my parents' inevitable death, uh, those things are avoided like the plague. And it's interesting, you know, a hundred, 200 years ago, nobody talked about sex, but people had to talk about death a lot. Now it's just the opposite. Um, uh, sex is not a taboo subject, but death is, mm. you just, you just don't bring it up because of uh, the fear of it. I, I was reading an article just the other day where, where the, um, the, the writer lamented the fact that, you know, so many deaths now, um, occur in a hospital room and not at home with family. Um, not that there's something virtuous about dying at home and something bad about dying at the hospital, but just the, the idea home was where you used to die. And I'm not advocating that that's the way it must always be now, but because home was where you died, you died in the presence of your family. You died with young children present who were learning. in those moments about the inevitability of their own mortality. And I think that there's been something unhealthy and not helpful for us that those situations rarely happen now, rarely happen. Very few young people who are not involved in the medical uh, industry in some, uh, in some shape or form will have seen a dead body. Right. Mm -hmm. Now that's not, I I don't, I'm not actually sure that it's appropriate for say a six year old to see Mm -hmm. a dead body. Mm But I think when, when people go through life and never actually see 
a dead body, never mm -hmm. see the reality of death. There's, I mean, there is nothing like, I, I haven't seen many, but there's nothing like seeing a person you knew who's now lifeless. They're not the person you knew anymore. Yeah. There's nothing more powerful than seeing the grip that death has on somebody you knew. Mm -hmm. uh, and I, again, it plays to your point, Todd, that we have sanitized death. We've moved it away. I've made this point numerous times in, in lectures and, and in sermons that we don't have graveyards by churches anymore. You know, right. If you are walking past the grave of your mum and your dad on your way to worship on a Sunday morning, worship would be a different experience to that which it is for okay. most of us. Yeah. Because that reminder of your loss would always be there. Always right. be there. Right. And again, we're all thankful for modern medical care. We're very grateful to live in an era of penicillin and uh, uh, surgical advances. Yep, absolutely. We're, we're thankful for that. Thank of God course. for that. But uh, appendectomies. Okay. Oh, sorry. Yes, I just yeah. didn't hear it. You know, would, you know, would have killed you yeah. a, a hundred years ago. Yeah. Um, and so we're, we're thankful for all of that. And, and yet... What, what I want to try to help people understand is that we diminish our joy in the hope of the life to come when we're not honest about death and contemplate it on a fairly regular basis. Mm -hmm. We're actually undermining the Christian hope, which is not ultimately this worldly. Mm -hmm. but it is the next. And so we're, yeah. we're, we're fooling ourselves into thinking that this life is a lot longer than it really is. Yeah. Well, of course, Richard Baxter, the, the great English Puritan, mm -hmm. uh, the 17th century, mm -hmm. recommended that Christians spend, I think, each Sunday afternoon meditating on death and the life hereafter. His, yeah. his work, The Saints Everlasting Rest, is one of the fruits of mm -hmm. that. And I think... Uh, meditation on death was was something of a Puritan hallmark. I remember um, yes. it was a particularly uh, grim Puritan text I once read, where the uh, the person said, "You know, you, when you go to bed at night and you feel the sheets come round you, <laughs> it should remind you that one day you'll be wrapped in a winding sheet and you won't be descending into sleep. You'll be descending into the darkness of death." There you <laughs> go. Kind of a morbid, morbid sort of thing. It's kind of a classic Englishman production. I yeah, suppose. yeah, exactly. Uh, but um, you know, meditation on death was very much part of Christian piety. You see this in Roman Catholicism as well. When you, uh, if you look at uh, some of the paintings of the Franciscans, some of the Renaissance paintings of, of various Franciscan brothers, they often have a skull mm. on the table with them or a skull on the floor or something. And that yes. was a, a little conceit put in by the artist in order to, well, to bring out the fact that reflecting on death was part of Franciscan piety, but also to remind the person looking at the picture that meditation on death was part of piety as well. Yeah. yeah. Not something yeah. you find uh, very often these days. Well, People, you know, you think about our culture and how we're fighting aging um, yes. and how we are obsessed with youth. And, and you think about the, the humility of aging, but how that kind of forces us to look to our real hope. Mm -hmm. I mean, aging, you know, when your body really does start breaking down, yep. um, you know, when you see your know, grandparents or parents lose their strength, um, need to be cared for, you know, these kind of things, yep. um, yeah, they, it's they long for restoration. Right. My wife and I have been talking about this lately because we're in the process of 
um, moving my mom from the St. Louis area out, out to be with us. Uh, Lord willing, we'll do that next week. And um, it, it is such a strange and hard thing to watch your parents age. My dad died uh, two years ago, almost. And, um, uh, and now just dealing with my mom and her continued grief. And um, uh, my kids need to be exposed to that. They need to see that. We need to have conversations about that. But, but the point is, is, that, is that ultimately, um, if, if I push those things away, I'm doing myself a disservice because my soul needs to think long on the eternal hope in the age to come. And I can't get there without contemplating death, without helping my mom walk through this, without thinking about the loss of my father and and the things that are continuing to, to go wrong with me and my 52-year-old self. Yeah, I have to think about these things. You combine that with what we were talking about with, with prayers that aren't answered the way that we think they should be answered. And you just see how ungodlike we are mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> and the effects of sin. Like mm-hmm. all of this is from the effects of sin. And so mm-hmm. it helps us see how horrible sin right. is and mm-hmm. how we, you know, long for holiness and, um, and to be released from these sinful bodies. Right. Right. And you know, one of the things we've talked about before and, and I try to help people understand is that, um, when it comes to funerals, let them be funerals, let them be a funeral, not a, um, well, you know, grandpa's up in heaven, playing golf with Jesus now celebration of life kind of nonsense. Um, but grieve, grieve through it. No, we don't grieve like the world. We don't grieve as those without hope. We do have grieve. hope. Yeah. We do grieve, and we need to allow people to do that because death is a is a heinous thing, brought about by uh, sin, as as yeah. you mentioned, and it's worth grieving. Death reduces those left behind, and I, you know, I, I understand why somebody who's lost a loved one might want a celebration of life. There's part of me who wants to say, you know, whatever helps you get through it. Right. Right. But the fact that you need help to get through it. Right. indicates how traumatic and mm-hmm. devastating uh, death yep. is. And yeah, uh, you know, I'm much more comfortable with funerals that, that bring out the full sadness of what's gone on. Right. That those that are left behind are traumatized, are reduced, are less than they once were. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, the father is now the man who lost a child. Mm-hmm. Uh, the son is now an orphan. Right. We have, even our language reflects the reduction of our being by the loss of those whom we knew and loved. Yeah. When my, when my dad died, my parents had been married 57 years. Well, my mom, you know, she's not going to just get over that. She'll never get over that. And so um, the, the challenge for her now is in her remaining time, however long or short that is, to live with the glad Christian hope that there is a reunion to come. And uh, there is a life that is so far greater than this life. Paul would say even our worst sufferings aren't worth comparing to what is to be revealed to us. Now, I would say we cannot properly um, rejoice in that without some serious contemplation of of dying. And, And we can do that without being terribly unpleasant to be around, you know, <laughs> I mean, there's other ways I'm going to be unpleasant to be around, but we, you know, we can actually oh, yeah. contemplate, <laughs> we can contemplate death 
without being uh, depressed, yeah. as it were. Yes, you can, you can still enjoy life in yes. the shadow of death. Yes, yes. Well, um, thanks for, for joining us for this chipper conversation. But I, I, I joke, but, but the fact is we, we as Christians do need to reflect on these things. We do need to wrestle with God through prayer. We do need one of the wonderful things about the Psalms and, and about the book of Job is it is it gives us language for our uh, cries of, of pain and, and desolation, our cries of, of struggle as we wrestle with God through things that we don't understand. And we can do that in a pious and faithful way that, that leads us further into, into comfort. And certainly we, we want to, to maximize the joy that we experience as we anticipate the life ahead, but we can't do that unless we're honest about those things that break our heart. And so we hope that we can do that faithfully. And with an eye towards that, we want to make available uh, to uh, some of our fortunate listeners who might uh, scoot over to our website, mortificationofspin.org. We're going to be giving away a few copies of a wonderful new book called Remember Death, The Surprising Path to Living Hope by uh, an author and a pastor named Matthew McCullough. And uh, it's, it's a wonderful new book. It's written for lay persons. It's, it's, it's not terribly long, but, but really deep. He does not waste a lot of, of real estate in this book with, with uh, overly simplified or fluffy thoughts, but he gets to the, uh, to the core of the matter. And I have found myself encouraged and helped and comforted by, by my reading of it. And so, again, uh, hop over to our website, mortificationofspin.org, and enter to win a copy of this wonderful book, Remember Death, The Surprising Path to Living Hope. And while you're there, please keep in mind that we're a listener-supported podcast. If you'd like to make a, don- a donation to the uh, Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals so that they can continue to supply this sort of content, uh, please feel free to do that there. Until next time, we look forward to being with you on Mortification of Spin. The seasons don't fear the reaper. Not do the wind, the sun, or the rain. We can be like they are. Come on, baby, don't feel the reaper. Baby, take my hand. Thanks for listening to Mortification of Spin, a podcast of the Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals. To read more on hard-hitting topics like this, visit the podcast page and blog at mortificationofspin.org, where we'll have links and other articles from Amy, Carl, and Todd. And while you're there, please subscribe and consider making a donation. We'll talk to you next time on Mortification of Spin. used a little more cowbell i say i'm gonna knock you out because that not only alludes to don't call it a comeback line but also how i feel about todd and carl uh, i'm gonna knock you out mama said knock you out i'm gonna be nice to you mama said very although oh, don't, don't call it a comeback would be good though it would. to follow that yeah i kind of like that let's do it i like it yeah. There's one line in there with the bad words, so just be careful. Mm-hmm.
Yeah, I we had the like, F word once before. It's it's got away. <laughs> Who are you? Yeah. <laughs> yes. First person I met said, great podcast. <laughs> How did you get away with that? <laughs> <laughs> oh, man, you have to listen very carefully. To pick- Tell me, who are you? Yeah, yeah.